You're listening to the Small Town Monsters Broadcasting Network. You can find out more about this and other network shows, as well as Small Town Monsters films, books, our upcoming Kickstarter campaign, and much more at smalltownmonsters.com. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another edition of STM Live, which, full disclosure, is not necessarily the official name of this show. It's just faster than saying another Sunday night Small Town Monsters live after show stream. My name is Aaron, and I still have the privilege of being your host. Uh, Welcome back to everyone joining us for the second, third, fourth, fifth time, and welcome to everybody joining us for the first time. We will be joined by Mr. Damon Irons very, very shortly to talk about the latest episode of Dark Coast. Um, But of course, as always, we've got a few announcements we've got to get through. Um, Not get through. It's exciting stuff, and I'm excited to talk about it. It's just the first thing on my list. Uh, Monster Fest 2 is coming up on June 29th of next year, 2024. We will be at the uh, Canton Doubletree in downtown Canton, Ohio. So join us there. Get your passes while you can. We still have a few of the VIP Level 2 passes. They are going rather rapidly, so don't miss out on that. The American Werewolves VHS is still available in the Small Town Monsters shop, uh, but not for very long. It's an extremely limited run. And speaking of limited runs, we still have the Screaming Pumpkins merchandise over there for you guys until November the 1st. So once again, don't miss out on that. And recently, if you missed it on our social media feed, we revealed the poster for American Werewolves 2, The Skinwalkers, which did premiere yesterday at the Cosmic Holler Film Festival. So a huge thank you to everybody who came out for that uh, or who wanted to come out for that. I wanted to go, but I'm in Texas, so I didn't I didn't go. Uh, very important. Also huge news. The next Kickstarter launches on February 1st of next year. That's going to get you in on the ground level for our next round of projects. We've got so much cool stuff coming up. Uh, we've got Dogman territory werewolves between the lakes. We've got cryptid Goatman, which is going to be a Kickstarter exclusive. We've got lost contact, which is the story of the Mantel UFO incident. I'm kind of obsessed with that. Uh, and then we've also got on the trail of Bigfoot, the ancients, And uh, we have another book coming for you guys, Hunting Grounds, Dogmen of the Lakes, which I actually did a lot of research for this weekend uh, because I'm writing it. So that is a thing that will happen and not just something that I think about all the time. Uh, Without further ado, folks, we we should get into tonight's program. We've got a great guest. I know you're excited to talk to him. Uh, Fresh from Alaska, Mr. Damon Irons. How are you, sir? Good. (laughs) Not quite fresh, but you know, fresh enough. <laughs> Fresher than me. I just planned a one-year-old's birthday party, so you're you're doing great. <laughs> How are you this evening, man? That's great, boy. You know, the trailer for the werewolves thing. I don't know if that scares the crap out of you or not. You know, that just... trailer gets me pumped every time. That score just does it for me. But yeah, yeah the dogman stuff is is real creepy. Um, the more research we do into it, the more I'm like, what is going on here? But anyway enough about what i think about werewolves um we'll get into that another day uh for anyone who may not be familiar with you or your work maybe they didn't get the chance to catch the latest episode yet uh who are you well thanks um my name's damon i live uh in washington um i don't do a lot of work necessarily i've been kind of getting into the squatch communities after um my first uh sighting about 15 years ago and it's kind of led me down this path of just meeting some amazing people and having amazing experiences and going uh, very cool places. And um, 
yeah, like I said, I just do it for myself for the most part. Not necessarily, I'm not trying to prove anything or anything else like that. I know they exist. I've seen several. So it's not like it's a, it's a mystery to me, but I think it's a, it's a fun topic and um, I want more of it. And so that's what I do. I go out and I, um, you know, go to Bluff Creek every year. I go uh, hang out with some other guys along the, the way, some other, uh, you know, squatchers that people are aware, uh, probably know. And um, I just, uh, I just love it. This is a great community, super smart people, super interesting people, and uh, it's a lot of fun. So that's that's what I do. Awesome. I don't have a YouTube channel. I'm not making movies. I'm not doing any of that stuff. You know, I'm not posting content on Instagram, none of that crap. I just I just go out and do it for myself. Well, you and I were talking about this a little bit before we went live, Damon, but I think that's something that people really uh, connect with and appreciate, you know, because there is a lot, and I might, you know, I might postulate here for a second, but there is a lot of that in certain aspects of the community, maybe a little more in the mainstream, you know, where people are chasing clout and it's about views and it's about clicks. And I think people really appreciate that authentic approach to research. I know I do. So, you know, that's part of the reason I was so excited to talk to you tonight. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, the research, man, sometimes it's dull, dull as hell. There's nothing going on. I'm, I mean, the, all year, honestly, other than um, mostly the occasional um, audio of something or like that, it's been pretty quiet. But I've missed stuff. I've missed stuff. I missed two amazing incidents by a day um, that were. Oh, wow. That I just are like, oh my god, I wish I was there. But um, yeah, just that's just the way it goes, you know. They come and go sometimes. I know people who have uh, habituation situations are like, well, they they'll come every other year for two months, or they'll they're coming the fall or the spring, or they'll show up. They don't see them for five years, you know, that sort of thing. So. You know, they're random. They move around as they need to. And um, sometimes they're there. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes if they're historically there, you have better odds of running into something, especially if um, it's been repeated historically. But finding the key or finding that that um, uh, the amount of time takes or between the two periods, whatever that that is, you know, that's, that's the hard part. Mm-hmm. Most of the stuff, like Dr. Meldrum said, were very serendipitous type of encounters. You know, but uh, at the same time, I've gone out and looked for them and had stuff happen to me. So it's been pretty amazing. You can't wander the woods 24-7, unfortunately. No, no, you can't. (laughs) (laughs) When you do some 20 hours a day, they're not there. They're 100 miles away, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think these guys can cover a lot of ground pretty fast. I mean, um, I forget who it was. Somebody, um, one of the other uh, groups in the Midwest, they actually were able to put up... uh, uh, a bird with a satellite tracker on a string about seven or eight feet off the ground and something got, it got attached to something and they were able, it, it was wandering like, like 50 miles a day, just in this big random pattern. Uh, it had a huge area that it wandered in. So it's it, 50 it miles a day. Wow. Yeah, just, just cruising. I, I walked 17 miles once and it took me six hours and I'm not good enough at math to yeah. know how, you know, I can't figure that out, but the, just the oh, comparison. That's but if something will take, it could take a, a step twice as long as yours, just as easy you take a step. I mean, you best 34 miles now, you know, Gosh. just walk. <laughs> so that's yeah, wild. Easy, easy to do. So that's yeah. wild. We do have a, we do have an audience question kind of on that same note. Um, and as always guys, any questions or comments you have any questions for Damon, please put them in the chat. Uh, we always do our best to get to as many questions as possible. I've noticed uh, lately a lot come in at the end which is awesome but ask your questions we want to hear from you uh shout out to mr alex petikov in the audience tonight 
Petakov Media, of course, the director and the guy that put this whole Dark Coast project together. So, hey, you know, hello, Alex. Always good to see you. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Okay. So Matt's tube of you, Matt, always good to see you in the audience. Matt's a regular. I think he's here every time. Uh, wonder if Bigfoot has a seasonal migrational pattern. That's a really good question. Who knows? Right. Um, uh, I have in my experience. I've seen them, uh, do both. I think, I think that there, there are some that just stay in certain places all the time. Um, like, uh, for example, north of me here, uh, some of my friends are talking about uh, having experiences in the same spaces, not only in the summertime, but in the winter, going out there and camping wintertime and being at a, at a pullout for snow machines and stuff with snow, several feet of snow on the ground and getting their van shaken in the middle of the night. Wow. You know, or, you, or you see in footsteps, stuff like that. So I, I think in some cases they, they do. Um, like I suspect that... Uh, there is a migration pattern a little bit from say the, uh, the, the cascades around Mount Rainier across, uh, around McCord down the South space, then over to the Olympic peninsula. Um, I think that they, there's some movement there that, um, I think the squatches are on like say Mount hood are still to stay there. Well, look at, look at the Freeman stuff, right? He was, mm -hmm. he found a lot of footprints. He would just follow the snow line generally in the springtime, right? As the snow started retreating up, he would just kind of follow it and there'd be almost uh, tracks almost all the time for him. You know, so I think it depends on where they are, where the game is, where the food is. And if, if they can stick around in one space and be happy, then I think they'll stay there. But it would make sense. Like, why would five feet, why would you live in five feet of snow? You just walk, you know, a little wires away and not live there. I, I don't know. Well, if you can walk 50 miles a day, you know, yeah, right? Right. <laughs> migrate where you want to when you feel like it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But. You know, uh, there might, who knows, maybe there's some clan kind of stuff going on. So you got this one group of squatches that live here, and this is some of those other squatches territory, and they just kind of stay in their spaces. Hmm. I don't know. We'd have to be in the woods 24-7 for that, I guess. Right, but I, like I said, I've seen evidence for both. I've seen evidence for them sticking around. I've seen some evidence of them moving a little bit, too. Hmm. You know, if, if it's like uh, if you look at... Um, a lot of the patterns, like look at those web, look at those websites that show um, sighting reports and stuff, like map sighting reports, and you can see like on the west coast and uh, right past the Great Plains, I, uh, Mississippi eastward. There's a ton of them, right? And then there's the occasional ones in the middle, you know, that, that kind of you kind of see along a waterway or something like that. So that, that also also implies that maybe they're moving across that too. Hmm. The other. Damon, how did you how'd you get into this stuff? How long have you been doing it? You know, like uh, how did, how'd you get how'd you get here? <laughs> well, I think like most most nerd kids, we um, go to the library, been looking up like uh, Bigfoots and werewolves and ghosts and all that things like that, right? So I've always felt like they were probably um, a uh, you know real. There's too much evidence out there. Too many people have seen them. Too many footprints. Too many you know. That, there can't be nine. They're sure there's occasional idiot walking around in a in a Bigfoot suit, like in Colorado, just recently. But I um, was gonna ask you. I was gonna ask you. Did do you have a take on that? Just because I've been having so much fun discussing. It. Oh yeah. Well, it's it's obvious that it's a suit because it, it looks like he's wearing pants. Like the the bottom is one shape and it flexes with this. It flops around like he's wearing bell bottoms or something like that. You know, they don't they don't do that. Um, yeah. <laughs> they're gonna do that. Yeah, it's very shiny. It's like, yeah, it just doesn't do it. So it's yeah. It's, plus, it moves like a person. Um, yeah. They <laughs> Even he's he's trying to be squatchy, but it's still a person. You, know, <laughs> you could maybe he practiced once or twice and was like, "Okay, I've got this." <laughs> yeah. 
But it's uh, the intended result, man. Look what he got national news for it. So, yeah, yeah. At least the rest of us back another five years, but whatever. And it gets people. It gets people talking about you know this stuff. You know, yeah. we could probably have a protracted debate on the the you know place of hoaxes in this yeah. community and what they do, what the what's good and bad about them. But yeah. I, don't, I don't. I don't think people should go around doing hoaxes. I'm just saying. You know, it's worse with rather than put out as real, and they try to. You know, she the, the lady had wasn't had any no part of it, right? So she just filmed something on the same side. Hey, look at this, and everybody else. Yeah, it. yeah. It was, it was the guy went out with some stompers and made some fake footprints, then try to pass them off as as real and sell casts and stuff like that. You know, something like that. Yeah, we can we could point to any number of cases. Yeah, where someone's perpetrated a hoax <laughs> of that manner. But uh, so for me, it started about uh, about. 15 years ago or so um for real because i was i was uh, riding my motorcycle between uh, boise and joseph oregon up through the Wallow mountains and um had uh had an, uh, an encounter right there on the road and that's when it became real for me so i, I kind of started thinking more about it and then um, a friend of mine from high school he had his own encounters up in central idaho and uh, so he started talking about that, meeting other people who had had other encounters. And then eventually uh, he and I went down to uh, Willow Creek for the uh, 50th anniversary uh, um, of a PG film. And they were also filming an episode of uh, uh, Finding Bigfoot, which my friend had gotten on somehow from an Idaho episode. It was kind of funny. So uh, Some, we, Somehow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, we went down there and uh, met the crew and kind of hung out and met some great people and had a good time. And then uh, next thing you know, uh, you know, Cliff Berrickman was um, running some summer expeditions in Mount Hood. So I went on a couple of those and had some other crazy experiences on those things and um, just kind of grew from there. Yeah. That's cool, man. Cliff Berrickman's a super nice guy. I met him recently. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to be great. Super chill. Yeah. Um, can you tell us more about, sorry, I keep clearing my throat here. Very unprofessional. Yeah. Can you tell us, can you tell us a little more about your sighting, um, your encounter that this is every interviewer's dream. You've just, Oh yeah. 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 So. Um, <laughs> well, I've had, uh, I've actually seen five now. It's kind of a weird number. Um, I don't want people to think that, you know, there's always a story like, well, you've seen one, you're lucky. You've seen two, you're a liar. You know, that stuff like that doesn't really happen. I've just no. been, I find myself to be somewhat fairly observant about stuff, but um, this first one, um, basically, it was a, uh, I was on the motorcycle, and I don't know if you, you know if you ride or not, like, when you do, you're constantly, like, sweeping the road for debris and things like just danger, right? Just, just stuff to look at. And um, as I came up on this flat spot, about 50 yards of, of a straightaway, um, cause I was zigzagging through this kind of road. The, um, the left side of the road had a perfect line of just lodgepole pines that were just, just, I mean, perfect. And as I looked up the road about, uh, about halfway down there, about half of a black ball that was kind of high in the air, kind of just went behind the tree. And I was like, you know, what the heck was that? So I, um, came off throttle. I wasn't going very fast anyway. And, uh, and I'm talking about this is like a little single lane uh, for paved, paved road. It was four service road, about single lane, lane and a half maybe. And um, I came up to the gap that was in the road on my left. It was you know, 10 or 15 feet across bro pit. And there was a, a pine tree right there. And then with its back to me was this 12 foot tall gorilla. Um, 
and you know classic broad trap shoulder um huge shoulders arms arms as big as me that just went down the whole length of the body hands hands kind of hooked you know like this um down by its knees so i mean the arms are that long i mean the, the, the hands were below the knee the actual knee joint um long stringy hair it wasn't uh it wasn't like super long but probably six eight inches long or so kind of a real dark gray color just really kind of oh wow they strut down and uh very athletic to wide shoulder, um, skinny waist. The, uh, the, the, the torso seemed taller than the legs at the time, but at the same time, couldn't really see the bottom past his knee because he was down, down the hill there. So, um, I'm immediately slammed on my brakes. I'm like, holy crap, right? So I, I come to a stop right in the middle of the road, try to get my helmet off. I got headphones on, I got all this crap on, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I get off the bike and right, so right in front of me was the, those pines again those large poles, tall trees but they weren't very thick they're getting, we're getting thicker as they went more, more towards down the road behind that was a field back there i can kind of see through a little bit but i look back at the gap he's not there now and i'm thinking man he is right in front of me somewhere i just i he's right out there and then um so i yelled out actually i said hey that was really clever you know because honestly if i hadn't seen the thing go back he probably would have just blended into the tree and i would have just been a thing that had just drove by and maybe went, huh? And then probably kept going, right? So they probably get away with that a lot, honestly. Just standing there, just let cars go by because nobody's looking. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, uh, I I listened for a minute, and then uh, had my phone. When uh, I ran back to the gap, I was going to go down the gap, and I was going to go right. And as soon as I got there, and I took one step, I don't know if the adrenaline wore off or whatever, but at that point, every cell in my body just screamed no, and I went left instead. Um, and took about two steps. And then at that point I started hearing very heavy footsteps behind me start walking away. I don't know if you've ever heard a horse step or anything. Mm-hmm. That's a very heavy step. Um, just bike goes full, full. And then the car came in the road and I kind of had to interact with it all of a sudden, but and it was just like, okay, you know, my, my world's different now. Wow. How long, how much time, you know, went from when you saw this thing to when it kind of came to an end? Um, I don't know, two, two, three minutes, probably. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so that was, that was the, the catalyst for the moving forward with the rest of it. Um, mm-hmm. From there on, you know, you just, other times it's been, I've seen another one when I was out looking for them. The other three were just uh, kind of haphazard. Like the other one was in the middle of a KOA campground at two o'clock in the morning. I was just out front, let the dog take the pee. And it, I saw it walk across the road, walk in front of me, walk over to a, um, a gazebo where people clean fish and flip the thing on a trash can on its side and rummage through it and kept on going, you know, and that was in Astoria. <laughs> so that's like, incredible. Yeah. And I don't, you know, just to kind of comment on something you said earlier, I don't think it's that unreasonable or outlandish that you would have seen multiple instances of these things. Cause you're in these areas, you're spending time there, you know, where a lot of people don't go. And like mm-hmm. you said, we're, we're not always, looking up at the trees all the time, scanning the road necessarily. Right, so, right. you know, I just don't, I don't think it's that much of a stretch is, is what I'm saying. You know, like we've all heard a crazy quote unquote paranormal story, but I don't think, I don't think that's too much of a stretch. Right. Right. And if you put yourself in their space and what they're looking at, and if you're lucky enough, you're going to, you're going to have something happen here. You get whooped at, you're going to hear some knocks. You're going to maybe find some footprints or some hairs. Uh, you're going to, um, just stuff's going to happen, but you have to pay attention and be, be, um, just observant. Um, mm-hmm. 
just listen to what's around you because they're there. I mean, a lot of people who think that they, well, I've, I've hunted all my life. I've never seen a squash or anything like that. I said, I'll guarantee you have, you know, you've either been watched by one, you've heard a weird owl, you've heard something, you know, and I, I guarantee that you've had an interaction. You just didn't know it. We have to assume we they know that we're there probably before we know that they're there 99.99% of the time. Yeah, maybe, probably. Maybe my supposition. So, yeah, <laughs> not omnipotent, you know, but they are pretty observant. So, you know, you also see stories too of the guy, the one not aware that, that they're there and they just kind of surprise them. You mm -hmm. know, so it, it just it happens. Um, I'm always surprised. Yeah. Heard one story is like some guy gets out of the side of the road just to, to take a leak real quick and comes across one right, right there. There's like several in the database like that. It's like, how is that? How weird is that? Just so. pure happenstance. Yeah. Yeah. Well, kind of on that note, just seeing them and them being in the environment, we do have a question from uh, Gil Favor. Always good to see you, Gil, member of the squad. Uh, what are your thoughts on these creatures being able to cloak themselves when needed? I used to think it was nonsense, but more recently I've begun to wonder. Um, and we did have some comments in the chat to the effect of uh, that's from the great outdoor biggie. Uh, got hair when you hold it up to the light, uh, it goes clear. I have heard conjecture of that, of them, you know, some hair samples reacting differently under light, or maybe they're camouflaging somehow. So cur curious, along with Gil, I'm curious to, to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, I don't necessarily think that um, they can cloak as much as we are, are terrible at being in the woods and or okay. patterns. You know, it's pretty simple for camouflage to just simply, and then, then like hair is funny because you could, like, why are there white Bigfoots? Why are they, they live, they, they're very successful, you know, and live a whole lifetime. But it just goes out there and it's for our brains, the way they work is all you have to do is just obscure the pattern a little bit and our brain can't see it anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, it's what it is, it could just you know, be logs or trees, bark branches in the background between some other stuff. And so um, I don't necessarily think that they do that. Um, uh, sort of as a side note, this is kind of one of those stories where you're like, oh man, you got to know the gear, you got to know your stuff. But a friend of mine um, who I actually sold my original thermal drone to, um, he managed to actually, they had an incident where they were actually tracking two squatches, a big one and a small one. And as the big one was running away and he was right on it, and this is and unfortunately technical error, he wasn't unable to record the whole thing. Um, but uh, the squash ran up the hill. A guy was kind of 80 yards behind it, but couldn't quite see it. And it went into a ditch, backtracked a ways, and came up behind him. And uh, for all intents and purposes, disappeared. You know, there were there were some guys there who were kind of in the whoop camp saying, oh, you know, talking about portals and things like that. And, and it was quite obvious. Like I said, no, he didn't go into a portal. He just outmaneuvered him, you know, got into the trees, knew the landscape better, and just, just did it better. Um, mm -hmm. So... I don't necessarily think that uh, they cloak per se, but uh, at the same time, there are really weird stories you hear of watching. Um, in fact, uh, West of South Coast Chronicles had a guy from Florida who he went camping with their friends and like a bunch of balls of light came floating through the trees towards them. And as it got close and we're right in front of them, whap, suddenly they're Bigfoot, the whole family Bigfoot right there. And it didn't end well, but um, so how does that, how do you explain those? I don't know. Right. I've had friends with that too. I've seen I've seen friends who've had balls of light just kind of fly in over the campfire and sit there and scope around and leave, or um, have a ball of light kind of appear in front of them, almost as a distracting method. To suddenly there's a squash squash running between some trees fifty yards away. So so what is that? I, I don't know. 
but I don't necessarily think that uh, they, they cloak per se. I just I kind of wonder if it's our uh, just our ability to see them. Yeah, that stuff. But I haven't seen the evidence myself yet that that happens. <clears throat> well, and that's the, you, what you said about breaking up the outline. You know, that's the principle behind military camouflage. If it makes you harder to see against a backdrop, you're harder to see. So, right. you know, plus they do stuff we're not used to doing. I mean, like you, they'll just drop down on the ground behind a log, you know, and they're gone. You know, we don't know yeah. what happened. Um, and, you know, they, so they, they don't think like we do. They don't move like we do. So they do things that we just don't, wouldn't think would, is even possible. Mm-hmm. You know, That's I mean, a really good point. I think we, when we research this stuff, sometimes we expect it to behave in a way that like is logical to us or makes sense to us, but you know, it, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. No, it doesn't, it doesn't at all. You know, what, what, how does that happen? I mean, how do you look one minute, you look what it's there, and then you take the flashlight out for a second, you come back, and it's gone. You have yeah. no idea. Just have no idea what. That's fascinating, man. Yeah. How did you how did you end up linking up with Alex and getting involved in the Dark Coast series? Well, I met him last summer at Bluff Creek, actually. Um, when they were out there filming that that stuff. And um so it was we only just a, it was just a day or two. And then um I know all of a bunch of the other guys. I know like Tate and and, I was gonna say, I believe we have a mutual friend. I believe yeah, yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, I think I, I wasn't his first choice to go out there, but uh, he, the other guys couldn't go, and he, they he asked for recommendations, and apparently my name came up. That's so awesome. I York Wad and Wad, why should he be fine? <laughs> <laughs> You'll be good. <laughs> yeah, take this guy, whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's that's how I met Alex, and uh, that's been great. Awesome. Yeah, it's great to meet, you know, see the people and meet those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool, man. I, I'm always interested in people's journeys. Like what got them here? You know, how did we end up having this conversation about Bigfoot on a Sunday night? You know, yeah. All yeah. those little things. <laughs> exactly. Um, here's an interesting question from Donna Moore. I saw this earlier and I made sure to highlight it here. Um, do you think some clans are underground dwellers? It kind of makes sense to me. Not saying all, but some. And like humans, there are so many different groups or clans. Kind of, there's a couple really interesting things in that question there. We can, uh, we can. Yeah, why not? why not? Thank uh, you, Donna. That's a great one. Yeah. I think, um, yeah. They, I, I think they take advantage of the, of the um, territory around them. And so if there are, you've got some caves and some places like that, they can hide underground and stay with people. Sure. Um, there's lots of reports of that. Um, or, um, if you think about it, there's probably lots of other, you know, high mountain valleys with, um, say water and, and good place to be that's away from people, you know, like, mm-hmm. like that too. But I imagine if there are some underground stuff, they would probably do that. I don't imagine what, I don't know what they would eat down there on a long-term basis, but, um, you know, but if there's, if they're basing out of a cave or a cave system and then foraging out, and then coming back, I could see that. I could definitely see that. We do have some conjecture about that. Um, even here in Texas, I'm in San Antonio, and uh, a researcher named Rod Nichols out here has looked at a lot of stuff and and has kind of speculated along similar lines that they could be using underground caves and caverns. So I, that's, I got excited when I saw that question. Yeah. Um, and I, I love kind of the, the comment here about clans or groups, you know, different different groups of these things. Do you have any thoughts on that? Has that come up in your research at all? I wonder. Um, 
Not necessarily, but I think that we're all aware, like as we, as I go around, so I'll, I'll, I'll go to California, I'll go to Washington, Oregon and places like that. And, and I was actually listening to a guy on a podcast come when I went camping this weekend, just on the way out and how he talked about stuff. So it's like simple things like do these scratches over here or do they vocalize a lot or are they just knockers or if these guys vocalize or, and or knock, do they reply with this, with a knock or do they reply with something else? And this guy in his area on the podcast, he said he found that they didn't reply with what was sent. Like, so if a guy, if a squatch knocked, the, the reply wasn't a knock. It was something else. It didn't necessarily have to be that. It could just be some other sound. And then some guys, I don't like, I don't think the squatches in Bluff Creek, I don't think they vocalize very much. Hmm. I don't have any recording of, of whoops and that stuff. You, you get knocks pretty consistently, but I haven't heard or seen anything that's a, that's a howl or a whoop or any of that stuff out of Bluff Creek. Um, Interesting. And some of the long-term audio I've got there, I don't, I don't have a single one. So, hmm. but I do have knocks. But you do hear about, you know, vocalizations and stuff yeah. in other areas. So oh, yeah. that's interesting. Hood, they vocalize in Mount Hood. Um, on one of Cliff's expeditions, uh, we got a whoop response. We, we did a, a thing where um, there were three groups of us and we each they were separated by quite a ways. And one group started a, a whoop and then it just went down the line. We did our whoop and then downhill in front of us, we got, we got a whoop reply. And I heard some knocks there that night. And then two days later, um, to what? people would call an Ohio how like came up the valley. So um, they're, they're obviously talkative there. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think it, I think that type of behavior is um, probably dependent on the clan and what they're, what they do. So, and yeah. what they're, you know, so they, maybe they do, maybe they don't. Definitely indicative of different groups. Yeah. 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 Very interesting. Thank you, Donna. That's a great one. I love, I love audience questions, man. Ideally, I don't even look at my notes. Uh, <laughs> shout out to two more of our squad members, Scott, always a pleasure to see you. Uh, and Jeremiah of the Bigfoot society. Uh, great to yeah, see you guys. I, I uh, was listening to on the way up there. With oh, no kidding. I was going to ask what podcast. Heck yeah. <laughs> yeah that one. Uh, he has really amazing observations, actually. I, I thought that were very, clever. man. I interviewed Jeremiah for my first book. And in there, I'll just say this. Uh, I said, it may be, in, in, as of this year, no one has asked more questions about cryptozoology than Jeremiah Byron. Yeah. Um, so always great to see you, Jeremiah. But we do, uh, we do have a question from Scott. Uh, Damon, you demonstrated some pretty sweet drone skills in Dark Coast. Can you tell a little more about how you started with it, as well as talk about the drone you used in Area A. Oh, we love the technical questions. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, study number three, I was actually in Mount Hood on my second exhibition with Cliff, and um, we were going, this is kind of the Hail Mary um, of the night. The, so far, of the three nights we were out there, it was pretty quiet. And so this is the third night, and we decided to go to one particular side of the park that uh, the previous year, um, another group of people had some interactions with something that was in a tree. They thought maybe it was a juvenile, like way up in a tree that was, because something was up there, monkey-like, shaking the branches at him and stuff like that. So we decided to go back there, and there was sort of a swamp along the road. And uh, we were launching down this road in teams of, of two and going about 100 yards, and then the next team would go out and kind of doing this long caterpillar, really. So and I was with my guy, and... Uh, I first started smelling like a weird kind of a musky smell that wasn't present before. Um, wasn't super pungent, but it was different. My very much different. Um, 
called it in. Cliff thought maybe it was just the swamp. And, uh, and I got this weird feeling like something was close by. And I turned to my uh, my partner and I'm like, hey, where are those guys at? You know, I kind of just, my, it kind of like um, resolved itself to me thinking, where are the people in front of us? That's kind of what, what that feeling was. And he said, I don't know. And as I turned this way, something went right by me on the road, like just, and, you know, I kind of saw maybe a little blur, but I'd almost, it happened so fast. I almost didn't believe it. Um, I looked around a little bit with the therm, but I didn't see anything or hear anything. And that was the other weird thing about the cloak things. Like he didn't, the animal didn't go tearing off through the woods still. He probably went right to ground to right where he wanted to go and didn't go anywhere. But I didn't hear anything. I didn't hear any breathing. I didn't hear any stuff. The therm, I thought maybe warm spots. I didn't see a thing. Then I didn't believe it happened. Um, later in reviewing the audio, you can actually hear the footsteps, the four steps to get across the road. Oh, wow. Um, but at, from that point forward, I'm like, yeah, I need, we need to draw. I need a thermal something. Some, what do they got out there that will, because um, if someone was running overwatch on us with a drone while the forest were running down there, they would have seen it. And it could have been a much different outcome. So I um, spent some time researching that winter. And my first drone was the DJI uh, Enterprise. They call it Dual. And so it's a, it's basically a Mavic um, drone with a dual camera. So it's a visible camera and a thermal camera. Uh, thermal camera was at the time was only a little bit, it's like similar in, in resolution to a TK Scout, the Fleur Scout. So it's a 160 by 120. Um, not super good resolution, but you know what? It, it worked. You can go out there, you can find deer, you can find people and, and stuff like that, especially if you took your time with it and stuff like that. Um, and uh, I spent the next two years learning to fly drones with that thing. I would just run up and down my street and, and fly it around and, and flew it quite a bit on just different stuff. And then I would always go, I'd go up the hills up above my house and I call it deer practice. You know, I just go up there and go, go look for deer or whatever. Um, found some people on a weird little night hike one night, uh, like at 1030 at night on a trail. It was kind of strange, but. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> but yeah. So th that sort of thing. Um, so that's the kind of practice I got into uh, last year. Yeah, last year, last summer, uh, that's when the new drone came out. I was delaying buying one because they're kind of expensive. And I finally saw a review one and the, the, the amount, uh, the difference in the resolution of the thermal between mine and that one was just night and day. It was just, just insane. And so I okay, fine. So I, you know, throw the credit card and don't even think about it, right? Because <laughs> I'm only, just going to do it. <laughs> fine. Um, then I sold my other one for about as much for what I bought it for. So I that kind of paid for half of it. So I kind of moved my investment forward. Um, but uh, since then, yeah, it's just been just getting out there and using it and take your time and going slow and learn the controls and just being consistent with it. Um, and uh, so now what I have now is the, the upgraded version is called the Enterprise Advanced. Um, and it has a uh, the same setup with the visual camera and thermal camera. The thermal camera is, is a... Oh, 640 by 512. Uh, you can see in the video, in the therm, it's actually very good resolution on that stuff. You can really resolve stuff pretty well. Yeah, the drone footage in this episode. I mean, it's always it's always good, but like I'm watching this one and I'm like, dang, these shots are just, you know, breathtaking. Yeah, well, the area is breathtaking. It starts to have a nice canvas to start with, you know. It's just mm -hmm. easy, but um, uh, it just kind of really kind of demonstrates the technology, how how well it works and how easy it is to find stuff. I find stuff all the time in the woods, just little critters, mice, rabbits running around, you know, you can, it really kind of um, resolve and they pop out real well too. 
Um, and uh, as you can see, like like when we saw the animals stuff like that, just they're different. They just magnify their the the heat signature comes right out. Um, it is line of sight, you know, so it can be blocked by a couple of things. The thermal is blocked by really weird stuff, like um, say the screen on your tent. You uh, that blocks a thermal um, image. However, a black trash bag does not. Interesting. <laughs> so, yeah. So people like talk about making surveillance tents, right? If the, if they're going to be at night, so they'll cut the screens out and they'll tape duct tape a black trash bag on it instead, and then the thermal can still see through it. Then hopefully you can't visually see through it. Interesting. Yeah, it's weird stuff. But um, yeah, you know, you got to It just uh, yeah, like you see, stuff really pops, and um, it's real easy to find stuff. You can cover a ton of ground with it. Uh, you can either do it in a way where, say, you are, I've done this before, where I'm just kind of sitting at base camp, someone calls something in, so I'll just run out over there real quick and check it out for them, or I'll follow guys on the road or something like that. Or I, I just throw it in my backpack and take it with me, and then I'm ready to use it uh, when I need it. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. But I, I really think the next awesome video of a Squatch is going to come from a drone. I've heard that people talk about that before and you see videos sometimes circulating on social media. They're like, Oh, this is a, you know, a tree that a Sasquatch bent over from the sky or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. I haven't seen anything yet that really compelled me, but you know, I think yeah. the potential is definitely there. Yeah. There was a good, there was a drone race video I saw, I think this summer it was like in a snowish environment. The guy said, you know, he was out drone and doing something and there's a Squatch, right? And he catches this guy, but, the, the video is really fair because it's the guy's right over the top of the subject. So it's walking big. So it just looks to me like a big guy with the muscles in a suit because he never actually varies a shot. He's always right over the top of it. And then if you look at all the footprints in the snow, it starts with huge footprints sitting next to this guy going this way and then towards the trees. So it's like you forgot that, oh, yeah, his buddy walked across there, went through the trees this way before he started walking back in his Bigfoot suit. <clears throat> You know, little, little stuff like that. And you can they tell you've done a couple of times because there are more than one set of prints in the snow as he's walking. So, yeah, yeah. And I think it's easy when we see something like that to want to believe that, like, this is it. We caught it. This is the yeah. the, the Patterson Gimlin of the new era. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's like that first deer I found in this episode. It was, um, you know, uh, you could see him. He was very much whiter and light. He really popped out. But then you had to go in and kind of take some angles, go around the trees and take couple extra looks different angle of looks at it and then kind of see what it was it took me a little while to identify because like he'd been sitting there a while long enough so he warmed up the space around him so it wasn't it was like more of a, a blob right not kind of indistinct but very hot because he kind of warmed up all the space a little bit so there wasn't any detail to this picture and then when we're looking at this little screen looking down and you know zooming in i'm like like what is this little brown thing you know it's like yeah <laughs> year later on a big screen it's like, oh that's dear um, yeah but, <laughs> the classic zoomed in close-up wait what is that yeah, <laughs> yeah. i've got i got a video of a uh found a bear above Lair meadow in, in bluff creek same thing just kind of walked up first saw this hot spot under the tree and then i just kind of circled around the tree a few times and um and again because it warmed up the space a lot i didn't know what i was looking at until it actually um it actually had turned to the side a little bit and was taking a huge dump and you can actually see the blobs come off the butt walked <laughs> <laughs> away and then it had a purpose then it was a, then it was bare butt because it moved like the way that the legs were moving and stuff like that and he was like oh that's a bear damn it i had one <laughs> <laughs> technology has brought us to this yeah <laughs> using a thermal image or a thermal drone yes bears do shit in the woods <laughs> <laughs> we solved that one <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> got it <laughs> 
I'm, I'm curious, Damon, you're an, an, an air, an airplane pilot. You fly actual airplanes in addition yeah. to drones, um, which mm -hmm. is fascinating. Um, I'm curious if crossing these vast spaces and seeing, you know, the sky from angles that most people never will. I'm curious if that kind of comes into play for you. Does it affect your perspective when it comes to this stuff? You know, has it has it helped your perspective to evolve in any way? This is kind of an abstract question, but but I'm just curious about it. What's amazing is that there is a lot of open country in this in this country. We have a lot of open space, um, a lot of desert. And people don't quite realize. I think the less, you know, a lot of Utah all the way down through Nevada, New Mexico, half the southern half of California. That's all like desert out there. There's like nothing out there. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, I start seeing places all the time where you're like, boy, if I was going to live there, here's an upper beautiful meadow, got a little lake on it. There's no roads anywhere. No one's no one's interacting with that place. Why wouldn't you live up there? You know, I just see all these these great habitat stuff like that, and um, like added to the list of like, some place someday I want to get to. But you know. Um, yeah, you know, I, I keep track of stuff. Like summer, you know, uh, unfortunately, um, a bluff creek burned this summer real bad. Um, mm, the area across the top of the ridge where we camp all the time looks like fire went through there. Um, last I saw, got pretty close to Laos Camp, um, and then on the uh, where the PG site is on the hillside above it, it burnt down a bit. But I don't think it got down into the actual site itself. And then all of Laird Mary's and above that I mean, lake that all burned. So it's it's kind of it's terrible it kind of needed to happen it was pretty a lot of dry underbrush and stuff in there i guess and i don't know maybe on the brighter side i'll open the woods up a little bit scratches will be used as you see with the drone <laughs> but, mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's fortunate when you see that stuff so i just kind of keep it tapped on that every time i flew up and down the west coast a little bit fly over it and, that's so oh, cool yeah. oh yeah just just flew over the pg side again today looks like the fire's a little bit closer but like that's so yeah. cool <laughs> that's yeah. a that's the last fix of my job that's for sure <clears throat> It just fully snapped in my head what you're describing. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Well, the weird part about it is that some, you know, a lot of times I'll be, you know, wake up in the morning, you know, East Coast someplace or someplace weird and fly for a day. And by the time I'm sitting at dinner, I'm at you know, a campfire somewhere, you know, up in the woods. So that that sort of um, mobility is a, a little uh, abnormal for most people, but it's just kind of my day. And it's, That's it's, cool. It's different. Yeah. That's very cool. I think we forget. I've said this on the show before, but I think we forget how big the world is. You know, yeah. you, you mentioned the uncharted. It's, it's small. It's actually small at the same time. You know, it's it's it's. Um, I don't know. I've run into people other other places that had no idea. Said, "Oh, I did the title on your house." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, I don't know. I I don't think necessarily there's six degrees of separation. Sometimes I kind of feel like it's a. Like two or three at the most. Something. Two or three, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I could vouch for that. I'm with you on that. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, here's an interesting question from Rob Bob. Da, da, da. It's not coming up on my screen. Hopefully, you guys can see it. Anyone ever hear of crop damage from Bigfoot? Crop damage. I think it depends on the crop. I've heard of them raiding things like with. Um, um, there was a great story about watermelons, actually. This, this woman has. She talked about her father who lived in. Um, in the woods, had a little bit of a farm, you know, and she always wondered what there's a one section of his of her of his garden that he kept separate for these guys, or they didn't know what it was, but it was kept separate, like little, little watermelons and stuff. Mm -hmm. And he wouldn't say why, or he used to say, "Well, these are for my friends." And um, you know, one time she said she caught, she thought she caught someone jumping the fence and grabbing a watermelon, and she yelled at him and and realized that they were squatches, and then he was uh, saving them for them. 
Interesting. Watermelon. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but I, I imagine there are some, but I don't think they, I don't know what's on their diet. You know, I don't know what they yeah. eat. You know, they obviously eat a lot of any kind of deer, frogs, any kind of animals they get their hands on. I'm sure they eat, but uh, mushrooms, probably some mushrooms, maybe uh, bard, things like that. Do they go in and eat corn? I don't know. Squashes. <laughs> things like that. They probably do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sure there is. Yeah. It's one of those lines of speculation. Like you could spend all day just thinking about, okay, what do these things eat and, and what's, what food sources are available? What makes sense? Like, mm -hmm. I love the idea of them pillaging crops, you know, in a Robin hood like fashion. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, like missing sheep sometimes, you know, they like go missing on their, their farms and who knows who gets those, but you know, mm -hmm. or chickens, you know, you see them, you hear it all the time about them raiding chicken coops, either grabbing, chi grabbing chickens or, you know, the baby chicks just scooping them up and eating them like popcorn or whatever, you know, you hear stories like that, but um, who knows, right? Right. None of us, unfortunately. <laughs> if we did, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation. They're probably very opportunistic for food. So mm -hmm. they find the parts that they like and if they want to eat uh, stuff out of your garden, that's probably tasty. I don't think they get lettuce, but <laughs> they're <laughs> tomatoes, who knows, but something that makes tasty like a, maybe pumpkins or some stuff like that, they probably mm -hmm. not. I mean, think about, you know, a human being that knows what to look for can survive by foraging and, and just being in the woods. So if you mm -hmm. think about a creature with with intelligence more comparable to humans than your and average animal. Entire life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kinds of stuff, I'm sure. Fascinating line of line of speculation. Um, here's an interesting thing, and I've never heard this suggested before. I'm wondering if you have, Damon. Um, Metallica four five six seven asks, "Why don't you guys bring tracking dogs with GoPros?" Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I thought about you know. Well, my tracking dog would have been a pug, so you know, put a GoPro <laughs> and run around. My <laughs> little punk though, he'll take off on me. Like he'll if he um, if he knows the way back. Sometimes if he's just done, he's like, "Oh, I'll see you guys later." He'll just he'll just book it back to the camper, you know, a mile away. Mm. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, it's an interesting. I wonder if anyone else, if anyone has tried that. I've never seen that come up anywhere, but I do wonder if that's been tried. I think it's a good way to lose your dog. Probably. Um, well, I mean, it, uh, there are a lot of terrible stories of, of squatches and dogs, and um, they don't like them very much. And a lot of times, the dog ends up on the wrong end of the of the equation. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. it's terrible. I've heard several stories. Yeah. Well, yeah. You probably get footage of it, but I don't think you'll have any dogs left. Yeah. You would need, you would need probably a, a specially trained, you know, working group of like Belgian Malinois or German shepherds or, you know, a big hardy working dog like that, that was trained to pursue an animal that it's instinctively afraid of. So maybe yeah. that's why. No one's the ones that, that have like you know, guys in Texas, you probably have guys who are chasing hogs and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. oh. those would, would work if you got to figure out the scent, you know, what, whatever would, you would need to, to track them. But, but it probably could be done, but I don't, I don't know why anybody's ever tried that yet. That's a fascinating, yeah, fascinating concept. I feel like I'm saying the term fascinating a lot tonight, but thank thank you guys as always for your questions. We always appreciate it. Uh, question from Brian White, another member of the squad. Appreciate you, Brian. Um, estimate of the North American Bigfoot population. I'm going to go ahead and say, I don't know. So yeah, thousands, I guess it's thousands. Mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's just, 
In fact, the guy that, that Joe was talking about, he said he watched a, 11 of them take down a couple of deer in a, in a field, you know, in Mississippi. So it's like, I, I just, I think that their population is very healthy and it's across the country. And I believe there's probably thousands. I mean, they've, they've made some story about, I mean, I know Dr. Meldon talks about an estimate of bear populations to other populations and there's sort of a, and he feels like, I think with the rarity of them, you can probably say, okay, for X number of bears, probably X number of squatches and he has a number in mind. But I just, I just think overall across the country, I think it's pretty healthy. <clears throat> if you look at the number of sightings, that, that makes sense. Again, I'm not good at math, but yeah. something in the thousands makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we could be like in the same couple <laughs> someplace. Like, oh, they're all over the place. Well, it's the same five in their 50-mile radius. If they're... <laughs> they're crossing 50 miles a day, man. I mean, why not? <laughs> but I, I just think it's pretty healthy. Yeah. Just... We need a computer program that can analyze all of these sightings and, you know, collect all the data about like weather and, and just everything and, and estimate that for us. Yeah. You wonder, huh? You wonder if it could seem impossible. I don't know if there's enough data for that, but mm. um, yeah, I wish it was more searchable. I mean, I, I played around with the data. Take, I took the BFRO database and I've made it fairly searchable. So you can keyword search it and things like that. come up with stuff. But, you know, I was wondering if, you know, if someone smarter than me could put together the sightings, the time of day, the, the food that's available, stuff like that. You could probably, create a predictor about where they're going to be, you know, like, yeah. like, like what time of season are these mushrooms in effect or how about the berries, you know, that things of that nature. And then uh, correlate that with sightings, times, differences. And you probably reasonably guess that, Hey, they're probably going to be over here. Yeah. Just like by the, considering all yeah, of that data. Like the algorithm that Expedition Bigfoot uses. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know they were using that. Over here. All right. Sure. <laughs> I love that idea. Um, here's another question from Gil. I wonder if they, uh, or sorry, would they have a human-like lifespan? Hmm. I think, well, people have, who have had, um, Cliff tells a story that uh, he knows a woman who, um, as a child, um, they had squatches on their property. And so there was, she um, would see the ju juvenile one about her age. And over the years, kind of grew up with the Sasquatch and then stopped seeing it after she was about 45 or 50. So I, I think the expectation would be about that. About okay. 45, 50, something like that. Somewhere I can't imagine a 50-year-old Squatch, so he's got to be angry. Maybe his teeth probably hurt, all rotted out, you know. Punched over a little bit, you know. Years of beating things to death for, for living and climbing trees and stuff. He, he just hurt. You know, he's angry. <laughs> he's headed up to here with his kids who are adults. They still live with him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Old angry squatch. That's got to hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Old grandpa squatch. <laughs> That's yeah. a great question, Gil. Thanks for that. Appreciate it. Um, we're coming up on the hour, but I, I would love to know, Damon, if you have a favorite Sasquatch, you know, encounter, whether one of yours, of course, or a story that you've heard or even a piece of evidence that really resonates with you. I always like to find yeah. this out. That's a, that's a good question. Um, yeah. For, I mean, uh, the one that I missed by a day was, was pretty epic. Um, a friend of mine was at the, what was called the cell site at bluff and had essentially um, three walk through camp. She was sitting there by herself at the campfire and uh, the, the, the terrain is, it's really kind of skinny at the top and it just drops straight down on both sides. So it's at the top of the ridge line, right? And she's sitting there and she's got, starts hearing some rustling off the left, kind of down below the sign a little bit. And then some rustling off the right and some 
kind of steppy sounds. And so she decides that she's going to get up and go. Uh, she didn't have any of her stuff. It was all in her old camper on the other side of the campground. So she walks over there and on the way over, she um, hears a noise to her right. So she signs a flashlight to the right. And 15 feet away is is, is the old white squatch that, that people have been seeing out there. And I've got some history with too, but it's right there. Stop, mid-step. And it slowly just, she's holding the flashlight on it and it slowly turns and looks at her and they stare at each other for about, 15, 20 seconds. And uh, she's like, yeah, it's just like, it was only at a, you know, it was albino looking, um, white hair with a little bit of black, black on the ends of it. Um, looked like he was balding a bit. And uh, then the one on the left makes some noise, some whoop ratters. So she turns and turns back, he's gone. And I suspected he went to ground and went back and kind of came where he came from. And then so she didn't also do so. She went and got her camper. And then she called me actually. And we're talking on the phone and I convinced her. So go get up, come on, go back outside. Get your thermal, get your thing. Let's, let's, let's do this. And then, so she gets her courage back up and she just goes back out. And um, I can hear some indistinct noises that she said were some motions around her, but then another one peeked at her from behind the tree, just kind of leaned out and looked at her. And she was able to describe it to me as a, as like the amber color and, and things like that. And, um, and then, uh, Again, here comes another noise from her right this time. I was suspect it was the white one made a noise. And so she turns again, looks for the noise. They got her again. So she looked back, it was gone. And then she saw somebody shine walk across the road in front of her, down the road of the way. It's probably the one that was on the left crossing over. And then some more noise over there. They got real quiet. And then later she heard what sounded like old men talking in the woods from that direction over there. Um, but I could hear some of that noise in the phone call. And she called me so that they were making. So it was... Uh, Pretty amazing, but again, that was the second incident because the day before, another guy saw some couple squatches hanging out by his truck when he was at the campfire, and the truck was 50 yards away, but I don't know why people don't sit there with their thermals in their pocket at the campfire because um, when, when he approached the truck, they ran away, and one ran away the other and left a, the, the other one by the truck left a belly rub on it in the dust. It was like like wow. the truck had the tunnel covers up like this, so it looked like it was looking through there at him because there's like two kind of handprints in the dust on the rail. And then the front has the rub in it that looks like fur because it's all kind of, it's kind of amazing. So use like using the windows of the truck is like camouflage almost, or is a- Yeah, a just, like, you know, the like, wow. just look down at him. And, um, you know, behavior like that, that's not bears. Bears don't do that. Bears are just belligerent, right? They'll roll in mm -hmm. and sit on the back of the truck and it would have just destroyed the cooler and taken lunch out of it, right? I didn't mm -hmm. even care yeah um, they didn't do that and they ran away and kind of hung out in the woods a little bit but you know so it was it's that's fascinating that was the night before i got there too that, was, that happened earlier in the evening when i showed up late i got stuck in traffic so like you're it's like <laughs> right before like just a matter of hours really yeah yeah that's that's kind of been my squatching life recently stuff like that <laughs> well hopefully hopefully you make it for the next one yeah um, right <laughs> Speaking of that, though, Damon, um, is there I know I know you're not generally out in the public with this stuff, but if anyone is interested in keeping an eye on your research, is there a page they can follow or is there a place they can find you? Um, not really. <laughs> OK, <laughs> well, hey, next time, next time, you know, and, um, you know, if you want to I have an email address, you, know, you can put it in the show notes like that if you want. Um, you can reach out to me if you have any questions that way. I've had a Interesting conversation with a guy about drones for a while on some stuff too that uh, was a fun thread. So hopefully we can keep up with that.
Yeah, we'll do that. We'll put that in the show notes. And next time, you know, you're working with Alex on something, I'm sure we'll hear back from you. So yeah, yeah, I'm sure we'll, that'll be, that'll be we'll, anyway. we'll do some more stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, sir, I want to let you get on with the rest of your evening. Thank you so much for making time for us tonight. Um, hey. It's been a pleasure speaking with you, man. So really appreciate it. Nice to meet you, sir. Yeah. You as well. Yeah, we'll be in touch. And a big thank you to everybody for your questions, your comments. Um, apologies, as always, if we didn't get to a question tonight, but we appreciate you guys coming out. Join us next week for another edition of STM Live and have a great rest of your night. See you, buddy. You've been listening to the Small Town Monsters Broadcasting Network. If you enjoyed this show, consider giving it a like, review, rating, or sharing it with a friend. And be sure to visit smalltownmonsters.com for more info about this and other STM projects.